0: Welcome back to The Business. This week we're all about the banks. Barclays and HSBC reported a combined profits of £6 billion this week, but the rot set in at Northern Rock, with the state owned banks' losses nudging towards three quarters of a billion. Coming up, we discuss the investment banking boom, the bonus backlash, and whether the bailout of The Rock will ever yield rewards for the taxpayer. I'm Edith Chakraborty, and this is The Business from The Guardian. Yes, a normal service has resumed, ladies and gentlemen. Apologies for the no show last week. It was, as they say, due to circumstances beyond our control. Now, we are officially into the quiet season in the business and economic worlds, but for better or for worse, we will be with you every week throughout August. Here with me in the studio is Deborah Hargreaves, the Guardian's business editor. How are you coping with the silly season, Deborah? silly
1: season what silly season there's no silly season in the business department we're extremely busy we've got
0: lots of banking results to write about silly profits there surely silly profits silly bankers silly bonuses but not silly is jill trainer our banking expert never silly for whom it's been a very busy 48 hours has not it Jill?
2: it has and and it's going to continue to be because we've got lloyds and rbs to come
0: so you've got a full week plenty to do okay well let's not waste another minute of jill trainer's precious time let's get on to those banks Go to America, you want to go to the big apple, not the little apple. I get up in the morning, I want a big breakfast. I want my girlfriend to say, Good morning, big boy, to which I reply. I've got a big day today, big meeting with the big cheese from a big studio. It's a big time for the big bucks. Well that's Sir Anthony Hopkins in the glitzy ad for Barclays, the world's big bank, back in an age long before bailouts, credit crunches, and toxic debts. Well, to say the least, there's been mixed news from the banking sector so far this week. On Monday, Barclays and HSBC announced profits around £3 billion each, mostly due to the company's respective investment banking arms. Meanwhile, on Tuesday, the state-owned Northern Rock, which collapsed almost two years ago, reported a first-half loss of £724 million. We'll come on to Northern Rock in a minute, but Jill, let's deal with HSBC and Barclays first. Nevis received funds directly from the taxpayer, but they've certainly benefited from the £1.2 trillion propping up the sector.
2: Yes, certainly. I mean, the entire banking sector wouldn't be here without this implicit guarantee that's going on behind the scenes from the Bank of England through these, you know, they can use this special liquidity scheme where they can put money in and out through the Bank of England. Yes, they pay a fee. They don't forget to tell us about that. But the reality is without that, neither of them would be here because we wouldn't have a banking system.
0: There's a, there's a peculiar kind of divergence that you see in, in, their, in their results, which actually sort of follows what you saw from the American banks when they were reporting their results, which is your you kind of real-world banking, the stuff that deals with customers actually not looking that healthy, but investment banking, which deals with financial markets, is taking off. How do you it, explain that?
2: Well, there are a couple of things. The fact is... There's a lot less competition in the investment banking world than there was. I mean, the collapse of Lehman Brothers had a much broader impact. It didn't just take Lehman Brothers out. Remember, Bear Stearns had already gone, and it also forced out some of the other players, the likes of Merrill Lynch and such like, who were very active, didn't really survive in their sort of go-go-go life. And what we're also seeing is the business that's going on in investment banking has changed. It's not so much about doing sort of sexy CDOs and all those things we'd never really heard of before the credit crunch. It's much more about believe it or not, selling government bonds on behalf of the governments around the world, paying for the bank bailouts, helping companies refinance themselves through doing share placings. I know on that traditional stuff of foreign exchange dealing. So it's a sort of different type of business. But it does certainly appear to be proving lucrative.
0: And Deborah, when you were laying out spread after spread in September, October last year about the crisis in the banking sector, did you ever think we'd be back to reporting a boom so soon?
1: How quickly times change, eh? Yeah, I I agree with you. We, we didn't think that things would turn around this quickly, but the, the objection that I have to it is it's all sort of slightly circular. You know, it's all recycled money. What the banks are making money out of is selling government bonds on behalf of governments who then use that money to bail out the banks or raising money after bailing out the banks and companies who need to refinance because of the recession caused by the banking collapse. And, you know, what we're seeing... Is banks sort of profiting from that and not forgetting to tell us that um, they're incredibly strong and they're doing well and they're doing a lot for the economy, they're doing a lot for lending, they're putting a lot of money into households and businesses, but if it wasn't for us, they wouldn't be there. At the same time, they're paying their people very, very lucrative salaries, very high bonuses, and this is all our money now. I mean, this is all supported by us, the taxpayer, not directly in Barclays and HSBC's cases, but through this guarantee.
0: But, Deborah, would you really be that happy if we saw more sort of red ink from Barclays, HSBC, Northern Rock, RBS, the entire, the entire sort of uh, pack of cards? Would you really be that happy if they were still in the same condition as they were last autumn?
1: Well, of course not. I mean, of course, no one wants to see the collapse of the banking system. What one would like to see is a little bit of humility on the part of the banks. I mean, it, it almost seems as if everything's getting back to normal. And, and, and we, we put that behind us, we forget about it. In the US, you've seen big banks like Goldman Sachs have been falling over themselves to pay back the government money. So they've set themselves back on their feet with an, after an injection of government cash. They don't want any government influence. They want to go back to paying those big bonuses and having no interference, and that to me seems like a recipe for history to repeat itself, as it has done in the past. You know, every time banks get carried away with, in in, a, in an economic boom, which of course we haven't got now, but I mean could easily have another one. Um, there'll be some other crisis that blows up, and again it'll be
2: our money that has to come to the rescue.
1: Okay,
0: Jill,
2: I'm whole... desperate to say something. Go on, you? come in. I mean, you see, to me. I think if we didn't have investment banking, this is not going to upset everybody, I'm sure, but if we didn't have investment banking, the story of the re- results I reported on for Barclays particularly would have been extremely different. Mm. We'd have re- been reporting about a bank that would been plunged into a massive loss because it didn't have an investment bank which was re- reporting record revenues to support the extraordinary bad debt provisions that are being taken. I mean, you know, tomorrow when Lloyd's um, and RBS report later in the week, it could be that the mood is different. I don't know. Because they're probably both going to say that they think impairment charges are levelling off.
0: Impairment.
2: Impairments are the provisions that, back, that, that banks take when customers don't pay their loans on time or when they think they're not going to okay, pay their so loans they're on going time. To admit that but, you know, they're, there's a possibility got, when Lloyds reports that it could be making a provision of about £11 billion for people who aren't paying their loans on time. You know, these are figures that are extraordinary. Lloyds doesn't have an investment bank to hold itself up. Against that level of provision. So, you know, I'm in that camp right now. I mean, I know there are lots of people who want to separate banks up and make them smaller. You could argue that the story for Barclays and HSBC is actually one of diversification. Uh, it's actually allowing them to actually report these profits. Controversial, as I know that is. But, but what about bonuses, though, Jill? I mean, uh, yeah, I, I can't the
1: payment defend... of those? Uh...
2: Yeah, I'm not having an argument with you about that.
0: No, no we we'll all,
2: we'll all agree we we'll we'll all agree
0: bonus. But just to come back to you, we began this discussion with you pointing out the way in which Barclays has got an investment arm with an entire corporation that, as you say, has got a variety of underwriting agreements from the government or all, all the central bank. So the argument about splitting them, up, splitting them up or about having more competition in the bank sector has never surely been more alive. You've never had more evidence for people who want to split investment banking yeah, out of high street banking or for splitting up banks which are too big to fail than you got in, in Barclay's interim results on Monday, surely.
2: Yeah, yeah of course. I mean, you know, the reality is their retail banking arm, the bit that provides services of ATM machines that we walk past in the street every day, made 268 ish million pounds the the, the the top line profit was three billion two of which had come from bar cap you know the investment banking arm look a lot of those write downs came through barclays too but i suppose i'm just trying to make the point here that um that you could at this moment in time present an argument for bigger is better
1: But, But don't forget, those investment banks, they are employing people who are paid to take risks and that's where they're making their money. Okay, they're not taking that many risks now. In fact, it's quite easy for them to make money now from selling government bonds and stuff. But in the past, they've made, they've invented products that were supposed to stop uh, risk. It was supposed to um, um, spread it more widely. Of course, that didn't work. Um, and they, they're paid um, on behalf of their banks for making money. So the more risk they take, the more money they get paid. That's always been the argument in the past. It's slightly. It. it I, I find it hard to argue in favour of that when we're looking at how. That sits on a on a high street bank that 's providing mortgages and, and and loans for us how How do you bolt on that sort of high octane? arm and not run the risk of it blowing you up occasionally. Okay
0: since you've asked the question Deborah you raised the high street what are credit conditions like on the high street now the whole point of rescuing these banks is so they funnel money out to businesses on high street what's happened?
1: Well interestingly Barclays um, was making the point that it's put more money into the UK high street this this year than it had planned to 17 billion as opposed to 11 billion that's not the net figure that's the gross figure which means that more people are paying back loans as well so so the gross figure, the net figure is much smaller. But nevertheless, they're obviously trying, they're obviously making lending commitments. HSBC has done the same. I think HSBC said they'd lent about £7 But when you look at the average um, loan to to value ratio on mortgages at Barclays, it's 44%. Well, that obviously doesn't include that many first time buyers who couldn't um, raise a big deposit. Now, that's a good thing because, okay, it's very, very conservative lending. It's not, you're not meant to be getting into, um, you know, 99%, 125% mortgages again, which is where Northern Rock found difficulties. But there are people at the bottom of the market who can't get onto the housing ladder. First-time buyers still can't get loans and small businesses can't get loans. Now, those small businesses, they may not... You know, Barclays are saying we make our decisions based on creditworthiness of businesses. That's a bit disingenuous because there's a list of businesses that most banks won't lend to in a recession. Anything to do with construction, consumer spending, retail. So those businesses can be profitable and trying to expand, but they can't get access to credit or not at a price they can afford.
0: OK, before we move on to Northern Rock, here's a comment from the blog from Ghost of Keynes: Bloody marvellous. Whilst Barclays and HSBC continue to coin it, the basket cases we bailed out last year sink further into the mire. How can any government preside over a system which uses taxpayers' money to prop up failing banks, while allowing others to profit so cynically from an environment that enables them to borrow at just under 1% and lend it back out at 7%? Any idiot could make money doing that. Last year we were told that unless we stopped these suckers going down, there would be chaos. It hasn't taken them long to recover from such a dire situation, has it? And Keynes has obviously relocated from Bloomsbury to Tyneside there. Chill. <laughs> um, is it the case that we just bought the real the real Basket cases and the the, the the ones that left standing were actually doing pretty well for themselves? And why have we bought
3: the well, real well, rubbish mean, we, ones?
2: We, well, we did buy the banks that were in the biggest crisis and we bought the banks that the private investors, you know, the pension funds out, out there didn't want to support all sovereign wealth funds in the case of Barclays. But, you know, the reality is, you know, the Tyneside accent, you know. I mean, Northern Rock's figures do tell an extraordinary story about this bad debt thing that we've been talking about. You know, the arrears rate at Northern Rock is currently running much higher than than the industry average. Four in ten Northern Rock customers are three months or more behind in their payments on their mortgages. The industry average is about, is less than two and a half. Their repossessions rate, I think I'm right. I'm checking this out. It's four times the industry average. And it's all to do with this Together Mortgage that was launched when times were better. Which was? When house prices were rising. And what was the the idea was? The idea was you could borrow up to 125% of the value of a home. The idea was we lived in a world where house prices kept going up and up. Well, guess what? House prices are down 21% from their peak people who were given these mortgages were also obviously being offered big multiples of their income you know and the chief executive of northern rock was telling me today that some people are giving him the keys back saying hey you know this is just too much to cope with
0: well we've hinted at northern rock there but before we move on who better to give the final word on this than a former investment banker philip orgar spent 20 years in the game at NatWest and schroder before turning his hand to words rather than numbers He's the author of three books about the golden age investment banking and the great crash that followed. I spoke to him earlier.
3: In 1997, um, Barclays uh, threw in the towel in their equities business. We all thought that uh, that was it as far as Barclays and investment banking was concerned. But they did one quite smart thing. I'm not sure if they realised at the time in 1997 how smart it was, but they hired a big-hitting American called Bob Diamond, to run their fixed income business. Fixed income is a part of investment banking, it's not the whole story. And it fitted it fit in very well with Barclay's existing balance sheet business, the kind of the commercial lending. And over the next 10 years, under the leadership of Bob Diamond, they were able to build this fixed income business quite substantially. They were very fortunate in, in a sense because these years when fixed income markets were booming, And so by 2007, when quite a lot of investment banks had had got into disarray, there was Barclays sitting pretty with a a strong fixed-income business and a very good manager in Bob Diamond. What they did next, uh, and this was last year, when one of the big U.S. investment banks, uh, Lehman Brothers, uh, went, went bust, Barclays was very well placed to pick up some parts of that Lehman's business. And I'm talking here about their North American equities business. They were able to, to buy that uh, and to bolt it onto to the fixed income business Bob Diamond had built up. And hey presto, Barclays, uh, 10 years after apparently throwing in the towel, have got the makings of uh, a pretty good investment bank.
0: And finally, Philip, investment bankers over the past couple of days have been compared to footballers, to Hollywood stars, and, and that apparently is why they earn so much money. As a former member of the species, do you, do you, can you honestly say that you ever felt as... in in the same league as a footballer or or a film star?
3: That begs a lot of questions, doesn't it? I mean, firstly, let's not necessarily assume that movie stars or footballers are appropriately paid. Um, There are a lot of people who think that their returns are fairly overpaid. Um, In in my time, I was very aware that I was a a fortunate member of a very well-paid group. I was I remember being very fortunate, I I felt at the time, in being in a a well-paid profession. Whether there was quite that same disconnect with the rest of society that there is now, I guess I rather doubt. The gap has widened. Philip Orgar
0: there. More about him and his work at philiporgar.com. So then, on to Northern Rock and something of a reality check the state-owned bank losses stand at almost three quarters of a billion quid for the first half this year. But Jill, are these figures that much worse than expected?
2: Well, I think you've got to remember that those profit figures, actually, sorry, loss figures, um, actually include a lot of sort of weird accounting things. So there's about uh, 300, 400 million quid that is down to accounting issues. So if you look at the underlying figures, they're actually um, showing a a sort of reduction in losses to about 400 million. But either way, It's hard to predict losses at Northern Rock, I think. And and they just keep telling us that they're going to be significantly loss-making for 2009. So on that basis, no, there are no surprises.
0: One thing um, that that sort of keeps being floated around is that uh, the idea of some kind of debt amnesty or debt forgiveness for part of the troubled uh, sort of home...
1: Yeah, why don't we have that? We could have debt forgiveness for all of us. I've just taken out a huge
0: loan. I could be forgiven my debts. Can we have that? We can have debt forgiveness, but it won't stretch as far as Tunbridge Wells, I, I assure you I'll tell you. But
2: I can tell you what's going on at Northern Rock. Essentially, the government's asking the EU to let them split it into two. So there's a good bank... Which is called, which is the bit that's going to keep doing lending, and And there's this thing called this thing. Well, they're calling it Asset Co in the way that the city does, and that's going to hold the bit that's going to hold a lot of the troubled loans. The stuff called Granite, do you remember that? Yeah, mad securitisation vehicle, and also the government loans will sit in that part of the business. Um, Now, the EU needs to give this thing approval to be split up, and that could happen in August or so. But then the idea is there's this thing called Bank Co, which will no doubt eventually be called northern rock again um is going to start uh, throwing money at the british population and f- for the mortgage market the government's going to give it 14 billion pounds to lend uh, what in
0: new mortgages in new mortgages but what happens to those people who are already running into trouble who are already running behind their mortgage payments what happens to them wouldn't it be much simpler for their their mortgage repayments to be halved on the month
2: well what northern rock is trying to do is trying to be uh, is trying to give the customers that it has got who are in difficulty more time to repay. I mean, they've made a pledge not to even begin repossession orders until six months uh, after difficulties. And um, the average time that they're repossessing is, is is more than double that. They clearly are trying to make efforts to make payments smaller, to try and keep people in their homes... And in instances where people are saying, "Look, we can't afford these repayments anymore," what they well, what they tell me they're trying to do is keep people in their homes and sell the properties while they're in them, so at least the 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 I mean, and these are homes in negative equity a lot of the time, I suspect.
0: And so they are trying. And Deborah, one of the other scenarios that people often talk about is of Gordon Brown, Alistair Darling floating off a little pebble of Northern Rock at some point before the election, just to say, "Hey, we we rescued this bank and now we're putting it back into the into the free market as we promised." What Do you think that today's results change that?
1: Well, um, it's interesting that government keeps talking about trying to get its money back from these bailed out banks. I mean, the same with RBS and Lloyds. And um, obviously, there's a lot of money's gone into them and we want to see the the share prices in in RBS and Lloyds come back so that we can um, get um, taxpayers' loans back. But in my view, that's not really a priority. A priority should be to use these banks to do some public good. And and, um, this idea of putting new mortgage money into Northern Rock, into into the good part of Northern Rock and lending that out to first time buyers, hopefully, you know, I think that's a good thing to use a nationalised bank for. And I'm surprised that the government hasn't been more proactive in taking these stakes and saying, well, we're going to turn these nationalised banks into something quite different, something that you wouldn't actually get from a private bank. I don't think we should be in any hurry to get our money back. Obviously, the public finances are in a terrible state so the government needs to show that it's getting something in and that could be a good election crowd pleaser but I'm not sure sh- it wouldn't be my priority.
0: Jill let's just finish with uh, a look ahead to the to the RBS results in this week what are you expecting there?
2: Well it, it does look as if they will just about manage to scrape themselves back into some sort of profit after the you may recall they currently hold the prize for the biggest ever corporate loss in british history um it does look as if they might scrape themselves back out of that but it's not going to be a big sum of money I mean, you know it's in the terms of banking but it might just be enough for them to put their heads above water and say look we're we're turning this around a bit I, I don't think it's going to be quite as much as the city had originally hoped for um but then predicting bank profits at the moment does seem to be tougher than expected again i'm pretty confident we'll see again large provisions for mistakes that have been made in the past um, in the way that we probably will with, with Lloyd's Banking Group.
0: Okay, that'll do for this week. We'll bring you full analysis of those RBS results in next week's show. Thank you to Jill Trainer and Debs Hargreaves, our producers Ben Green, I'm Edith Chakravorty and that was The
3: Business.